Let's turn together to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. If, if I were to ask you, if I were just to meet you for the first time and say, all right, well, tell me, tell me who, who are you? You would probably answer me with a list of things that like describe you, right? Like you probably say, uh, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I, I'm a teacher, I'm an engineer, I'm a social worker, I'm a stay at home parent, I, uh, I like to fish, I like to, uh, paint, I like to, you know, whatever it is, or I'm, I'm type A, you know, or, uh, you tell me what your Enneagram number is. I wouldn't know what that means, but I'll just nod along. Be like, okay, cool. You know, like you would probably give me things that describe you. And there's nothing wrong with that answer uh, at all. Because most of the time when someone says, who, who are you? That's kind of what, you, what they're going for. They're really saying like, well, describe your life to me. But the question, who are you? Like that I want to bring is it's deeper than that. It's it's asking it's asking about your like your like your identity, you know, like where you draw your worth and your value from. That thing in you of your like perception of yourself and who you understand yourself to be that drives all those things, that that drives your decision making, that drives your interactions with people, it, it drives you into certain things and away from other things. Uh, that that's the question. That's what I want to know is who, who, who do you understand yourself to be? Who are you? And we've been studying for the last couple of weeks. We're kind of in this fall series. It's going to examine uh, a number of different things and I don't have time to explain all of it. But we're spending the first part of it, understanding what it means to be the people of God. Like, not, not what are the behaviors of the people of God, not what are the do's and don'ts, uh, and not what are the practices of the people of God. Like, what does it mean to be, like, to be internally your, our identity as the people of God? Um, because God has something to say about that. Uh, there are plenty of times where, where the, the scriptures coach us along and show us what it looks like to live in the kingdom. But there are some places where God speaks very deeply about who, who we are from his perspective. Um, the world we live in teaches us to define ourselves based on our performance. And God looks at us and says, that's not how I define you. Uh, I define you very differently. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, here's one of the places where we see, we see this expressed. Uh, verse, nine, verse 9 and 10. It says, but you, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you've not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's, he's speaking deeply and saying, you are you are chosen and royal and holy and your mind that's that's who you are and as we proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us just like philip laid out for us earlier we've we've gone from darkness into a light that peter describes as marvelous but put whatever word you want in 
At one point, your, your identity was completely lost, and now you are the people of God. That's who you are. Um, that, that is significant. That God doesn't look at us and based on our performance, kind of size us up and assess us. He looks at us so differently. And the scriptures help us see exactly where that comes from. Now, the last two Sundays, we've looked at uh, different aspects of that. And we have a podcast, we live stream stuff on YouTube. So you can go back if you want to see what's preceded this. But today, we're going to look at what it means, what it means to bear the image of God. Because that is a part of our identity that is so important to the Lord. Therefore, important to us. Okay, So when I say bearing the image of God, uh, there's probably certain things that, that come to mind. But, but let, me, let me lead us to Genesis chapter 5. You don't have to turn to it. Uh, but in Genesis 5, um, there's this, this verse that doesn't seem too exciting. Uh, verse 3, it says, When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Okay, so uh, Adam and Eve had a child named Seth, and the language that's used there, in his own likeness after his image. Okay, now what that tells us, if we were to pull that into our lives, is that children are born in the image of their parents. Okay, so everyone here, you are born in the image of your birth parents. Uh, If you are a parent in this room, your children are the image bearers of you, and that uh, that will that becomes more and more obvious over time. You know, I know that that there are some people who are really good at looking at a newborn baby and being able to decide if it looks like the mom or the dad. And I am terrible, terrible at that. I don't even ever want to guess. They all kind of look like aliens to me when they're first born. Uh, super cute and beautiful, and love them, but just can't really tell. Uh, and sometimes they're like, oh. Someone will say, like, oh, he has your nose or your ears. And I'm like, ah, mm, ah good. Okay, we'll see. Uh, but over time, it becomes more obvious. And all the parents who are listening understand what I'm talking about. Because there are things, as your kids get older, they start to look like you. And sometimes you're like, oh, he walks like you. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yep, got it. that's your personality right there. That's your sense of humor right there. That's your interest right there. And so it can be appearance. It can be uh, sometimes their, their voices will sound like yours, their mannerisms, their, their hobbies, their interests. The fact that your kids bear your image, it just becomes more obvious over time. And uh, for better or for worse, that's how, that's how it is. And uh, that, there's a connection there. Like there's, a, there's a parent-to-child connection that's different than any, any other connection. I'm not saying it's better than or stronger than or anything else like that, but it's different than the connection between husband and wife. It's different than the connection between best friends. It's different than the connection between covenant members in a church family. Those are all really significant connections, but the image bearer connection is is just really unique because they're 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 yours and it's obvious, you know. And so that's that's something to hold on to for just a second. Because in Genesis 1, God uses the same exact Hebrew language and phrasing to talk about his creation of you. 
he connects our creation to the same concept as was described between Seth and Adam. This is Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what that means is that every one of you, every one of us, was made in the image of God the same way that your kids are made in your image and that you were made in the image of your parents. That is incredibly beautiful. And not something that we should just kind of like assume, like, yeah, we're made in the image of God. But what, is that, what does that mean? It, mean? it means a lot of things. It means uh, years' worth of sermons, okay? But for today, a part of what it means is that there's a, there's a dignity and a respect that comes with that honor that, that we all share. Like that should drive how we see one another and how we speak to one another and how we try to help one another and serve one another and love one another. All of the one another's are rooted in this idea that like, yeah, we, we bear the same image. Like we're, we're really just siblings, right? Like how, how cool is that? How beautiful is that? How, how important is that? And in a world that's always trying to divide us based on descriptions, right? Based on differences that we have, how amazing is it to know that the entire planet is covered with people bearing the same image? That's really, really important. Because if I ask you, who are you? That, that's at the core of who you are. Is you are a son or you're a daughter. And you can, you can answer that question based on what people are wanting to know, but what's important to me and what I think is really ultimately the, important to the Lord is that you know that your real answer begins there. It begins with the image that you bear. Now, I'm not saying that you are the same as God or that I am the same as God. Your, your kids... They're, they're similar to you, they're like you, but they're not the same as you. Right? There's some qualities that you share with your kids, but there's some that you don't. And in the same way as we bear God's image, there are, are things that he shares with us, and there are things that he does not share with us. So we, like he shares his, uh, his, the fruit of the Spirit, his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, faithfulness self-control. All of those are qualities of the Lord that he shares with us. The same way that parents share their image with their kids. But then there are some things that are not shared. Like God is, is uh, omnipresent. right? He's everywhere 100% at one time. You are where you are and that's it. Uh, God is, is infinite in his, in his entire being. And all of his, his wisdom comes from the fact that he is all-knowing. And you and I are very finite and very limited in our understanding. And so 
there are ways that we are like him and there are ways that we are unlike him. Uh, but even in the ways we are unlike him, we have access to those things. And so he's created this incredible, incredible situation. And I wish so much that that's really all that I needed to say about it. Um, because that that is a beautiful picture. But there's a... You, you all know because you're sitting there and you're thinking, I want to believe this 100%. But if that's true, then why, why am I such a train wreck sometimes, you know? Why does our world look the way that it does, you know? And that's because something something went wrong. Like that image we were created in, something has altered it and changed it. And that's the... That's the problem. That's the human problem. That's the problem that our entire planet faces is that we are created in this image that has been distorted to where we don't really look like him the way we were created to. Um, like there's a, there's a lot I could say about that. But I think we're in agreement, right? Something, something happened. And God helps us to understand what happened a little bit more, because in Genesis chapter 3, you know, the, the first two chapters of the beginning of the Bible are talking about creation and the order of creation. And this is where so much of the significance of our humanity comes from, made in the image of God. And, and God like, does all this, and he uses Adam and Eve to, to show us, like, this is, this is what happened. This is where things should have gone. And yet, chapter 3, we see the human problem on display, because God... Uh, told Adam and Eve, don't eat of this one tree, you can eat of every other tree. And they became convinced through the lies of an enemy that that God is not really that great. That God's holding out on them. He's not who you think he is. You're completely deceived. He knows if you eat of that tree, you're going to be just like him. And no God wants a rival God. So he's just trying to, he's holding you back, he's suppressing you. He didn't want you to have fun. He didn't want you to have power. He didn't want you to have what you want. I'm obviously riffing on the story a little bit, but ultimately, it's the Bible says that when when Eve changed how she saw the tree, like the fruit on the tree, she saw it as a gateway to a whole new world, and she ate of it, and Adam ate of it. And in that act of rebellion, that that shows us the human problem right there. Is that we think we think we would make a better God than God? We think we know better, and because we're we're just very very prideful in that. And so we look at Adam and Eve, and we see that story, and a part of us is like, "How could they make such a dumb decision?" And then there's that part of you that's like, "No, I I could see it." There are times when it feels like God's withholding something, when God's maybe not as good as the songs say he is, or as the Bible says he is, or as the church says he is. There's, there's times when you look around the world and you're like, how, in the, how can God be God and this stuff is happening? And you push away from him. Or sometimes life brings so much pain into your life that you're just like, I just don't understand how that can all be true. I think I'm just going to do my own thing. We all we can identify with Adam and Eve actually in thinking that we know better and then acting upon that. And what that has done is that has changed that image a little bit. 
We're made in the image of of God and to know him and the purity and the beauty and the holiness of his creation and to know that he really is that good. Like that's that's what we were created for. And yet our pride has pushed us against that and now that image doesn't look quite like it did. There's still some of that, you know. There's still kindness, there's still goodness, there's still grace. But it's not accurately reflecting his kindness, his goodness, his grace. We even see it in, in chapter 3. After, after this rebellion has happened, Adam and Eve are hiding from God. This is chapter 3, starting in verse 8. It says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, Well, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, well, the serpent, he deceived me, and I ate. See, already in the story, we see the distorted image of God. Because in, when you create an image of God, you're, you're not full of shame, but they're hiding. And shame is such a, like, well, there's going to be a Sunday that's just on shame in the next couple of weeks, because shame is such a prevalent part of our brokenness. That's not who they are. They're not hide in the tree from God kind of people. But something has changed. And then when he asks them about it, Adam throws her under the bus. The first in a long series of that happening, unfortunately, men. Blame. Like shifting the blame, like passivity, that's not who he is. That's not who he was created in the image of, but that image has been distorted. She blames the serpent, and granted, okay, the enemy had a lot to do with it, but she, the inability to just own what you did, that's just a few examples they go have a they they end up having child one kid kills the other kid it just continues that distorted image that's that's why our world looks as broken as it is because when that rebellion happens we go from created in the image of god who is spiritually alive to now spiritual death and from spiritual death we murder and we hate and we judge, and we divide, and we mock, and we bring pain, and so many other things I don't have the time to get into. So that part of you that's like, well, what went wrong, and has your list of exceptions, This God uses the first part of Genesis to say, this is the problem, is you have rebelled against me. And that has altered the image and that's why life looks the way that it does. There's really 
strategically beautiful moment in Genesis 3 where twice God foreshadows something really important. See, if you have this holy God who creates Adam and Eve in his image and they think they know better and they rebel against him, from our understanding of a sense of judgment and justice and whatever else you want to think about from a human perspective, it would be like, well, he should have just crushed them, right? Like, they they rebelled against him. He should have just dropped the hammer, and that'd be it. Like that, they deserve that. And that might be true if we're talking about non-image bearers. But they were made in his image, like your kids are made in your image. And when your kids mess up, do you drop the hammer on them? Maybe. In a way. But you don't quit them. And in that chapter, twice, he foreshadows his rescue of this distortion of his image. Twice. And that's Genesis 3. That's the beginning of the Bible. And as the Bible unfolds more and more and more, there's this incredibly powerful thing that God begins to bring to the picture and it's, it's the word hope. I know that love is really powerful, but I feel like hope is almost like, it's like right there underneath it in terms of power in our world today. You know because when, when, when hopelessness sets in, you, you know how deflating that is. But when there is hope, that, that has a way of, of driving you to continue onward. From Genesis 3, he begins to let them know that, yes, you were created in the image of a holy and perfect God. And, yes, your rebellion has distorted that image. But it does not have to stay that way. There is good news that is coming. When you follow the plot of the Bible forward, he, he, he creates this nation and they get enslaved. And he brings them out of slavery and establishes them uh, in, their, in their own land. And they go through all these ups and downs and all these kinds of things because they realize... Uh, or he's trying to teach them over and over again that your problem is not your behavior. And I've said this the last couple of weeks, and I'll say this for the rest of my life, I'm sure. Our problem is not our behavior. Unfortunately, we get so hung up on it because we, I, we base our identity on our performance, and so we always want to start there or finish there. But the thing is, he's like, that's not really the problem. The problem is inside. The problem is that the image has been distorted. You just need to see that. And it took generations for that to be figured out. Once they started to figure it out, he started to say, hey, I'm going to send a redeemer to come and make this all right. And they thought, yes, military dominance, you know, because we're brutes like that, you know. They didn't really understand the role, but they knew that God was going to send someone. They just didn't know that he was going to come himself. That Jesus himself would come in person. Who better to restore the image of God in all of us than God himself to show up and do it? Nothing else could do it. Keeping the rules couldn't do it. Breaking the rules surely surely couldn't do it. Religion couldn't do it. No, nothing could do it. God himself had to step in, which he willingly did. And like we were singing earlier. All of that, that's our faith. That's our belief. That Jesus has come to restore the image of God in every one of us and in every one that you will ever ever meet like that is what he came to do 
He came because like hope is a real thing that he's holding out to us. Let me read a few verses to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, that man being Adam, by a man has also... Uh, has, has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He's saying you don't have to live dead. You don't have to live with the distorted image of God. You don't, you don't have to live this way. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. That Christ has come to you and said, I will take that dead identity out of you and I'll give, I'll replace it with my own spirit and my own life. I'll, I'll make you into a completely new creation where you're literally not the one that you used to be. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 3. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What does that mean? Well, jump over to Colossians 3. Let's all turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, no problem. We'll put the verses on the screen. What does it mean that we're being transformed into the same image from one degree, degree of glory to another? In part, it means that this is a, a progressive thing for us. That Christ, in, in coming to us and exchanging our identity, okay, and taking out that dead, that spiritually dead, marred image of God in our identity and taking that out and putting his life inside of us, that he has begun a transformation process that starts from the inside out. And so we start on this journey, this really beautiful and frustrating journey of being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. Look at Colossians 3, look at 8, 9, and 10. But now you must put them all away. And he lists he lists those old things that are tied to that, that distorted image. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Okay, so like he bunches together just a just a list of random things that are all indicative of what the marred image of God, like how that shows up in our lives. And he's saying that, like he's he's saying two different things. If you are a Christian, he's telling you that's the old that's the old you. If you are not a Christian, he's saying this is the current you, but it doesn't have to stay the current you. Okay, so you need to listen through whatever whatever set of ears you bring to the table, and only you know that. But he's either reminding you of something or he's inviting you into something. But he says, you don't have to live with this image being distorted in your life. Look at nine. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He's saying, I'm inviting you through faith in what Christ has done, through the death, burial, resurrection, just like we saw with with baptism, like through what Christ has done, and in this new life, I'm inviting you to put off that old self, 
So if you're a Christian, that self has been put off. And if you're not a Christian, that this can happen today for you very, very, very uh, beautifully. Um, that is put off in the sense that that's not who you are anymore. Like that's, the, that's who you used to be, but it's not who you are. It might be how you behave, but it's not who you are. That you put that off. There's such a difference in, in someone saying, like if, if someone says, I am, I am selfish. That's an identity statement. That's an incorrect statement about who you are. A Christian would say, I am a saint who has been acting very selfishly. It's not who I am, it's who I used to be, but I've been acting that way. I was telling the first service today, I went to uh, I went to Estruma Middle Magnet. Any Estruma alums out there? All right, all right, we'll meet up afterwards, it'll be good. I went to Estruma Middle, and I went during a time when uh, it's a very diverse school, and you have like pockets of different uh, affinities, I guess, and interests, and there was a group of skaters and uh, the skaters, they like they they dressed like uh, like skateboarding, and so they they dressed accordingly. They they brought the magazines to school. They got in trouble for bringing, trying to bring their their skateboard their decks uh, to school and that kind of stuff. And, and it was just a whole like culture, right? But there was a thing within that culture is there were people who were true skateboarders, and there were people who did not skateboard. But they like to wear all the clothes and look at the magazines and talk the talk. But when it came to actually stepping on a board, they were terrified of it. But they would just kind of blend in. And one way you could tell the skaters from the non-skaters, you could look at their shoes. Because true skateboarders, their shoes are all scuffed up and gross looking on certain parts of the shoe based on the tricks that they're doing. And so there were people who they would be quickly identified as posers. Spend some members. You're, you're, he's just a poser. He doesn't really skate. See, when, as a saint, as a son of God, when I am acting selfishly, I am being a poser. I'm acting like something that I'm not. I'm, I'm behaving in a way that's contrary to my identity. And what that should make me do is say, I'm going to put off the old self. I'm going to put that off of me because it's just not who I am. When we get caught up in lying or being deceitful at work or, or uh, being on the internet on sites that we do not need to be on or getting caught up in certain substances that are bad for us, I can just keep going and going and going. You have to recognize, that's not me. I, I'm being a poser when I do that. That's not who I am. That's who I used to be. I, I want God's help to put that off. In, in exchange for what? Verse 10. Put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's put off the new self. That's who I am. And I'm being renewed in knowledge after the image of my creator. And, and here's, here's the thing about the church. is The church is full of people who are in recovery. Like we were addicted to our own pride, just like substance abuse leads to addiction here. We were addicted to that old life, to what it meant to be the marred image of God. Jesus has rescued us from that. Okay, like we've detoxed a little bit. And now we're in recovery. We're having to learn how to live in a way where we're where we just never put the old self back on. 
But you talk to anybody that's ever been in any kind of recovery from any kind of addiction, it's a journey. Like, it's a struggle. And so rather than being, like, rather than the church being a place where we're like, hey, uh, we are all in process. We all got our stuff. We got our issues. Uh, everybody is welcome here because we, we bring a lot of problems to the table. But we also, we bring the new self to the table. We bring the grace of the Lord to the table. We bring the, the patience of God to the table. We're going to like go through recovery together. That, that's what I wish the, the world outside of, I wish that's how they saw us. Instead of uh, the different ways that the church can be perceived. Because sometimes we just like to act like we got it all figured out and got it together. Instead of maybe learning something from our AA brothers, you know. We're, we're learning. This is a progression. We're being renewed in the image and knowledge of our creator from one degree of glory to another is what Paul says. Which means that today, I hope I look more like him. And by the grace of God and, the, and by doing this in community, that'll be the case. And I hope that tomorrow I look more like him. And if tomorrow, if there's a relapse, if there's a struggle, if there's a, I'm, I'm a poser in some sort of way, then I... Jesus has died for that. I hope I'm quick to recognize it and confess it and ask for help with it. And then you, you keep going. That's, that's, what we, that's, that's what we're trying to do together at Living Hope. That's even why we, we try to structure the things that we try, the way we do is because we just know this is our reality is we're learning. This is one big community in process that is morphing and being transformed. And what should happen is the oldest among us should look the most Christ-like. Because they've been doing that the longest, in theory. And I really think that that's what we're supposed to do. All of it based on the fact that Jesus has stepped into our situation. And so you may be here listening to this. As a, as a Christian, as someone who's placed their faith in what Jesus has done. And maybe for you, this is a reminder of the image you were made in and your journey in that distorted image and how Jesus has rescued you and is restoring that image day by day by day by day and has changed your fundamental identity. Maybe, maybe this is just a big reminder, you know, or maybe it's been a while. Like maybe you're, you feel like a prodigal, you know, like maybe, maybe you just kind of have been on your own pathway and maybe this is the beginning of Jesus maybe drawing you back home a bit. I want you to know you always have a place here. And hopefully any church you walk into would feel the same way. It doesn't have to be here. Uh, you might also be listening though and you're like, I've never even thought about any of this before. Like you may have never stood before Jesus and really like let him look you in the eye and tell you, you are made in my image. You have rebelled and that has distorted that image, but I've come to restore it. By grace, through faith. So Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. says, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of your works, so that you can't boast. But hear, hear him speak deeply to all of us. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This this is his will. This is his desire. This is him coming to his image bearers and saying, This is what I have, this is the rescue plan I've put together. If you're walking in it, that this is to be celebrated. If you need to return to it, that's equally to be celebrated. And if you've never said yes to it, that's also to be celebrated. Everything gets celebrated. That works out beautifully. You know? And so who are you? Well, the, God looks at you and sees sons and daughters. And some are in that, some have been restored in that image, and some have not. But he never closes the door. You know, like as long as as long as we are living in like this side of Jesus coming back, he is just it's always there. It's always there. It's always there. And so this might be your day. So what we're going to do is what we normally do, which is we just after the word is preached in the Bible, you see him preach the word and then people either took it or leave, you take it or leave. It. And rather than just end the service awkwardly. Uh, we like to like do a little, let's sing a little bit. Let's just have some time to sing or to pray or to just do what you need to do interacting with the Lord before we dismiss. And so this is your time with him. And, you know, you don't have to have anyone lead you in a prayer. You don't have to have that happen. There's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't, that's the most important conversation you'll ever have with God. And so if this is new to you, then just spend this time talking with him. And then when we are done, we'll let, kind of let you know what some other options are to talk with some of us. So let's stand together. Our musicians are going to return. And I want you to think for a second about your own standing before the Lord. And think about God looking at you. The way a parent looks at their child. Created in their image. And to be able to uh, just get a sense for what, how he feels about you. The connection to you as someone made in his image. Whether you've walked with him for a long time or whether this is all like very, very new, but you're drawn to it. Uh, these moments and this uh, singing together, this, uh, yeah, this is your time with him. And so say what you want to say to him, ask what you want to ask. Listen to the music. Listen to the people sing. Let's just take a moment, a few moments to be with, with the Lord.